0: Alright, alright. Open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. We're continuing our series through the book of Exodus, Uh, but here's the thing. Next week, you get a week off. Every few weeks, you need a week off from Exodus, and you need a week off from me. And so you get both. There's a guy named John Soper who's coming to preach next week. He's a guy who's been mentoring me the last uh, couple years, uh, maybe year, year and a half or so. Um, and uh, he was a former district superintendent a couple decades ago. Uh, he's planted churches. He's mentored other pastors. Great guy. And he's coming to preach here next week. Uh, so you don't want to miss it. Those of you at home, if, if you're like on the fence, come out for next week. Come out for next week. All right, that's next week. Um, All right, so Exodus chapter 24, we're going to be in verses 1 through 11. Uh, You should have gotten a communion element when you walked in tonight. Those of you at home, I put out an email and on Facebook, get some elements ready. We're going to receive communion together at the end of tonight. And and what this sermon is meant to do is prepare us for that. This sermon is meant to prepare us for receiving the Eucharist together, the Lord's Supper, (laughs) communion together. If you're not a follower of Jesus, let me just say, no pressure. You, you don't have to do this with us. In fact, it would be disingenuous of you to do that. And we, we don't want to play those religious games, right? We don't want you to feel pressured to play those religious games. Um, uh, but I, I will say that I'm praying uh, that if you're not a follower of Jesus, you become one in the next 30 minutes. I mean, God can, God can do that. I'll be honest. If you are a follower of Jesus, uh, this is also meant to remind you of what this is about. What, what, what this is about. I need a reminder, you need a reminder, we all need a reminder because we live in a distracting world that pulls on us, yanks us around, clouds our vision, gets our brain a little fuzzy. We need reminders. Jesus told us to do this in remembrance of him, so we're going to talk about what are we actually remembering. What are the historical events we're remembering, and then what, do the, what, are we, what, are, what are the benefits that we get from those historical events that we are going to remember together? It's about basically the covenant that we get to be in with God. That's what this is about. That's what we will be remembering. This covenant relationship that we get to be in with God. But you might be thinking, what the heck is a covenant? Like I've heard that term before, but I don't understand what it means. A covenant, to be in a covenant relationship with somebody is different than, to be, than being in a general relationship with anybody else. So for example, my wife and I are in the marriage covenant relationship together. Which means there are privileges and benefits as well as responsibilities that come with this relationship that I'm in with Jess that I don't have with other people in this room who I also love. Like I, I love you guys. I love, there's other women in this room that I love. Like I have a love for. My mom's here. I love my mom. But I'm not in a covenant relationship with any other woman in this room. Only my wife. So it's different, right? God loves everybody in the world. But not everybody is in a covenant relationship with him. Not everybody is under this covenant with God. Some are, some aren't. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. A covenant relationship. The chapter that we're in, chapter 24 of Exodus, it depicts a covenant ceremony that God has with the people of Israel. And and this passage is going to be a little strange at first, it's going to be a little Difficult to understand. I'm going to try to make sense of it, um, but it's very important. It's a very important chapter. It's kind of a hinge for the, the book of Exodus. It's a hinge for the Old Testament because it's it's the first. I mean, picture a marriage ceremony and how you know how important that is, how significant that is. This is a covenant ceremony between God and Israel, and so it points to something about a covenant that you and I get to be in now, and we're going to talk about that tonight. Um, So let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you speak to us? Would you speak to us? I believe you're alive. You you died and then you rose again. And because you rose again, you're alive. You're at work. You're doing stuff. You're softening our hearts. You're talking to us. You're you're, you're opening our eyes to see you in a way that we maybe haven't seen you before. You're reminding us of who you are in times that we most need it. I pray that you do that tonight as we open up your word together. In your name, amen. All right, so as we go through this passage, you're going to see three things uh, that were pretty typical of any covenant that happened in the ancient world. Three things. You're going to see expectations of the covenant, the parties are going to sh- commit to certain expectations. That was typical. Whether it was a covenant between kings, nations, a king and his subjects, there were certain expectations that you would uh, announce, that you would, that you would declare, that you would commit to within this covenant. You're going to see that here. There was also a sacrifice that was typical in the ancient world. We'll talk about why that is. But a sacrifice went along with this, this covenant ceremony. And then there was a sharing of a meal together. Sharing of a meal together. You're going to see all three of those things in this passage Um, And uh, let's jump into it. Exodus 24 starting in verse 1. Actually, let me back up. For those of you who haven't been tracking with us through the book of Exodus, let let me just really, really quick recap what's happened so far. God came after the people of Israel who were slaves in Egypt. He said, I want them free. They're my special people. He sent Moses into Egypt where they were slaves, did all these crazy signs and plagues. God rescued them out of, of, of Egypt. He, he led them through the wilderness. He provided water for them when there was no water. He provided food for them when there was no food, showing that he was a God who could be trusted. Then he brings them to the foot of Mount Sinai, and he reminds them, I have saved you. I have loved you. I have shown how powerful I am. I'm a God who's more powerful than any other gods, that any other nations think that they're worshiping. And therefore, I'm going to give you commandments and laws to follow as a way of being a blessed people. These, these are rules to follow so that you are showing the world the fulfilled life that I want you to have. And then those nations will go, I want to know that God of yours. And so he laid out for them what we call the Ten Commandments. We talked about this back in July. Then he went into other laws and commands about uh, justice and, 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 and fairness and... And then last week we covered how God said, they're still at the foot of this mountain. God said to them, I'm going to go before you. And I'm going to drive out all these enemy nations. And I'm going to give you this land that I promised your forefather Abraham. If you stay committed to me, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to protect your health. So that's all happened so far. And now comes the ceremony. The covenant ceremony. Right? Like me and Jess. I proposed to her. We worked through planning this wedding and expectations and marriage, you know, premarital counseling. But then came the wedding day. And that's kind of where we're at here. Then came the wedding day. All right? Verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. So Moses gets called up the mountain with Aaron, that's his brother, uh, uh, Nadab and Abihu, those are Aaron's two sons, and then the 70 other elders uh, of Israel. They're, They're called up the mountain as representatives of the people of Israel. Think of the captains going out on the football, before a football game for the queen toss, right? They're representing the rest of the team. If they lose the coin toss, the rest of the team loses the coin toss. So these guys are being called up the mountain as representatives of the nation of Israel. The rest of the people, it's about a couple million at this point, they got to stay at the base of the mountain. But notice that Moses alone is is able to come even closer. God says, I want Moses to come even closer. Moses is the special mediator between the people and God. Verse 3. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. So the Lord's words and laws, that's what we've covered already. That was chapters 20 through 23, right? That's what we've covered. Those are the laws and commands that God said, hey, this is what it means to be in my family. These are the house rules. And, And so now they're responding by saying, we're in. We will do this, right? This is kind of like the vows in a marriage ceremony. We will do this. We want in on this thing. Yes, I do. You've been a good God to us. We trust you. We'll obey you. And then Moses wrote down everything the Lord had said. Why did he write it down? Because the future generations could otherwise be like, hey, I don't believe God really said that. Oral tradition, oral stories get twisted. I can't trust that. I'll have my own deal with God. You have your deal with God. Let's just you know, live and let live. And, and so God wanted this to be, preserved, to be preserved for future generations. This is what I said in this moment. Moses wrote it down in the moment, right? Because you and I, right, we, we, we sometimes like to do that. We're like, you know what, Justin, if that's what you think God told you, fine, but not me. But God said, no, I, I've got my word here that you all have your individual relationships with God, but you don't get your individual covenant, your own individual agreement, your individual contract. Our kids, we have individual relationships with our kids. We discipline them differently, but we're not raising them to embrace different values, right? Does that make sense? Similar here. So let's keep going. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Here comes the sacrifice. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. I know, that sounds so strange, right? Our modern thinking's like, yo, come on, this, this stuff, this, this is the, can we avoid this stuff? Pastor Chris, I brought a friend tonight. This is not the kind of stuff that I thought we'd get into. So sacrifices in the ancient world when it came to covenants, um, on one hand they were saying, uh, it was like, if so if me and Justin were going into a covenant together and we offered a sacrifice, it was like us saying, may it be like, may it, may it happen to me, what's happened to this animal, if I don't fulfill what I just promised I, I'd fulfill to Justin. Like, m- may that happen to me. May I be like this animal, right? But in this particular covenant, it meant more than that. There was a greater meaning, which we'll come back to. Verse 7, then the, uh, Moses took the book of the covenant... Again, those are the laws and commands, what he's wrote down. And read it to the people. And they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. So again, he had written it before. Now he's reading it. And the people again respond in the affirmative. Yes, I do. All right, think of vows in a marriage ceremony. Yes, I do. I will. I'll love you, cherish you, till death do us part. Um, And and, and notice that God gave them the choice. He gave them a choice to be in or out. He gave them a choice. Even though He's shown how much He loves them, He's shown that He's a God who can be trusted, He gave them a choice. Do you want in on this? And they're responding in the affirmative yes. But He gives all of us a choice. He, he honors the dignity of human beings being made in His image by saying, Do you want in? I, I proposed to Jess. She, should, she could have said no. She could have said no, no thanks. Get out of here, right? She could have did that. Even on our wedding day, she could have, standing up at the altar, either said, I do, or she could have bounced, making things very awkward for me. I'm glad she said, I do, but it was a choice she made. You and I as well. We get a choice. God asks us, hey, do you want in on this? Some of us have never had the opportunity to respond to that. Some of us had said no most of our lives. No, nah, I don't, not me. Not me. But again, maybe that'll change tonight. Maybe that'll change tonight. Verse 8. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. He took blood, he sprinkled it. Imagine he's throwing blood on all y'all. We're going to explain that in a moment. We'll come back to that. Tuck that away. Verse 9. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up— so now they're going up the mountain— They saw the God of Israel. Now don't take that lightly. They saw the God of Israel. They beheld him in some way. Under his feet, so they kind of saw his feet in some way, was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. So this is God giving them a glimpse of his splendor, a glimpse of his his glory, his holiness, his wowness. They're going up the mountain. They're like, whoa! They got to see a glimpse of God. This is God giving them something that they didn't deserve to get. Look at verse 11. God did not raise his hands against these leaders of the Israelites. That's Moses writing this. Moses is saying, we got to see pieces of God, and he didn't kill us for it. Because otherwise, that's what would happen. Ordinary sinful human beings trying to come into the presence of a holy God would get zapped. A few chapters earlier, God had said to them, don't approach the mountain. It's dangerous. Don't come up here. And now he's saying, come on up here. They get to approach him. Why? How? How do they get to approach this holy God and not get zapped? That's a big question we should wonder about. Unholy, sinful human beings like you and I, even on our best days, by the way, Don't get to approach a holy God. Don't get to be in the presence of a holy God. I've used this analogy before. We used to have a dog named Sheila who used to love to play in the mud. I showed a video one time of this. I brought her home to Jess. Jess was like, she ain't coming in the house. It wasn't because Jess didn't love this dog. The dog had to be cleaned up and washed before she could come into the house, before she could come back into the presence of Jess. Right? The dog, she just loved the dog, but she, the dogs just couldn't come into her presence. God loves us all, but God's like, you can't come into my presence on your own. You, you're, you're a dirty dog. I mean, that's, what, that's what he says in his word here. So how did this happen? And more than that, not only were they able to come into his presence and see a glimpse of him, but look what the rest of verse 11 says. They saw God and they ate and drank. Remember that meal we talked about earlier? That was part of covenant ceremonies? They got to do that with the God of the universe. They got to eat and drink with God. They got to be in his presence and eat and drink with the creator of the universe. Now that's nuts. Isn't that what we all want though? Isn't there something in our souls that... I want that. I want to be able to eat with God, to sit down with God, to be in His presence like that. To commune with Him like that. Even if we can't consciously articulate it, there's something in all our souls that wants to commune with the transcendent, with the holy, with with the otherworldly. We want to be connected to it, don't we? We want to tap into it. And these guys got to do that... And this is what God wants for all of us. This is what the first humans had at the beginning, Adam and Eve. Things were perfect. And it says that God walked with them in the cool of the day, in the garden. They're eating from all these trees. They're communing with God. And then they lost it because they rebelled. And the world was broken. And one big, big piece of the brokenness, one symptom of that is you and I have been separated. We can't come into the presence of a holy God on our own. But we want to. And God wants us to. He wants to sit down with us and commune with us. Eating was a sign, especially in the ancient world, especially the Middle Eastern ancient world, was a sign of bonding, of fellowship. And this is God saying, I want to do this with people. I want to do this with you guys. I want that kind of closeness with y'all. My family, we fight to have dinners together a few nights a week with sports and different life groups and meetings, we, we carve out time, we rearrange our schedules to make sure we're having dinner together, because eating together is a way of saying, oh, we're, we're together, we're a family, and God wants that for you. Tim Chester said this, this is salvation, to eat and commune with God. This is what God wants, this is why he saves us, this is why he comes after us, to commune with us, not just to get us to act better, not to get us to be moral people. Go be well-behaved out there in the world. That's not what he wants. He wants you. He wants you. He wants to sit with you. But what does it take to do that? What does it require for people like you and I, dirty dogs, on our own, to be able to come into God's presence? If otherwise, they could be struck down for it. How could these guys do it? What does it take? Was it the knowledge of God's commands? Is that what it took? They, They memorized those laws and those commands? I mean, that, that sounds great, right? You, you memorize some scriptures maybe, you put a poster on the wall, you memorize it, you get a coffee mug, and, oh, I, you know, this is my favorite verse. Is that what it takes? Of course not. We know that that's not what it takes. How about a willingness to obey those commands? That's better. That's certainly better. The Israelites, remember, they said, we will obey. We want to obey. That's good. It's good to want to obey. But even that is not enough. Even that is not enough. Knowledge is not enough. Even a willingness to obey is not enough because we can. Our willingness is up here. The power to actually obey is much further down here. You you ever want to change and you feel like you can't? You feel powerless to change something? An addiction, a behavior, a mindset. You're like, why am I still like this? Anybody ever struggle with that? One, two, four, six of you guys. Yeah. Oh, and, 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 you know, we want to say, oh, I'll do better. I'll do better tomorrow. I'll try harder. Give me a second chance. Clean slate We like those ideas. But even that is not enough. They're good things for sure. I, I imagine that dog of mine coming into the house, uh, dirty and muddy. And imagine that the dog could tar- talk, you know, in this illustration. And the dog said to Jess, don't worry, mom. I'm not going to jump on the couch. I- I'll make sure I don't go near the white stuff. Jess would still be like, no. You got to be cleaned up. You got to be washed off, cleansed, sprinkled with water. Right? And that's what happened to these, to these Israelites, to these, these folks on the mountain here. Remember? Remember what happened? Remember that sacrifice that was made? Remember that, those, those animals that were killed? Remember that whole blood deal? Let's look at it again in verse 8. Moses took the blood of those sacrifices, sprinkled it on the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. They were sprinkled with blood. Why? Because in God's kingdom, the way God operates, one way for an unholy person to come into the presence of a holy God is is for their sin to be covered over by the blood of an innocent sacrifice. And God allowed animals to be sacrificed in their place to cover over their sin temporarily so they could enter the presence of a holy God. Now, I, I know that violates, offends our, our, our modern, postmodern sensibilities, especially if you're an animal lover. Animal lovers might bother you. Um, But I think animal lovers have the potential to understand this in a greater way. Because animals are precious to us, right? Animals are precious to God. He created them. The first job of the human beings were to name the animals, care for the animals. And so uh, I believe God's saying, you kill an animal. Animals were expensive, number one. They were source of food, number two. And some of them, they'd get close to these animals, and it's like, I'm killing these animals. It, 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 it cost them something, and it made them realize, that's how costly my sin is. That this thing has to die. That's how costly my sin is. An innocent, a poor innocent animal had to die, to, to, so their blood would cover over the sin of these human beings, so that they could come into God's presence, because God knew they were going to fail miserably. They were saying, "Yes, we want to obey." God knew they were going to fail, and so to cover over all their failures, God allowed animals, innocent animals, to be killed in their place. And so, this in this covenant ceremony, the splashing of blood on them identified them with that animal sacrifice. They would be stained; their, their clothes would be stained with that blood, and it would identify. It would remind them, uh, "I'm here." as under this covenant with God because an animal's blood was shed in my place. They were reminded of that. It was a permanent illustration that they would, it would be seared into their memory. It was identifying them as a people who deserved what the animal got, but instead were shown mercy and grace by the God of the universe because animals' blood was shed. Here's one way to think of it. For them to be covered by God's covenant, if you picture covenant as an umbrella, for them to be covered under that umbrella... Their sin needed to be covered by the blood of the innocent. That's how it worked. Now, what about you and I? What about you and I? What does this have to do with you, you and I? How can you and I dwell with God? How do you and I get to be present with God? Has things changed? You know, maybe some of us we have this idea that you know God is not as intense as he was back then. All the blood and stuff that was just back then. He's a little more chill. We're cool now. We can just come into his presence. We can just pray these bold prayers and expect him to answer because we just, you know, I've been good. I had a good week. Right? What does it take? I, 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 I often feel unworthy to come in God's presence. And then the next week I feel like, well, I, I did better, and so there's a part of me that feels entitled to come into his presence. And none of those are true. If I'm truly in covenant with him, I'm not unworthy to come into his presence anymore, and I'm not entitled. What, what, what is true? How do we get to come? So Israel fails, right? Follow this story. Israel continues to fail. Animals are continuously offered and sacrificed regularly, year after year, decade after decade, generation after generation. But Israel, the firstborn nation of God, so to speak, they were meant to be a blessing to the rest of the world. They were meant to show the rest of the world that there's a better way, there's a better God, but they kept failing, they kept failing, they kept failing until finally God sent his true firstborn son. God the son stepped into human flesh, became a baby, grew up under the law, obeyed the law, obeyed those commands as the true representative. Not only of Israel, but all humanity. He went up the mountain, so to speak. He was a better team captain who went and fulfilled all the laws and all the commands that you and I are incapable of fulfilling. He fulfilled them perfectly. He said, like the Israelites, I will do whatever you ask of me, Father. And he actually did it. And then an altar was made in the shape of a Roman cross. And Jesus, God the Son, was nailed to that cross as the ultimate spotless lamb, the ultimate spotless sacrifice. And His blood was shed. His blood was poured out to pay for our sins, that our sins could be covered over, not, not just for a short period of time, but once and for all. Once and for all, so that we could once again... Enter into the presence of God, be in covenant with God, have communion with God, eat and drink with God. And when we're, when we're told to, to do this in remembrance of him, the cracker and the juice or the wine and the bread, when we're told, we're remembering that Jesus' blood was spilled once and for all. The writer of Hebrews put it like this. Hebrews 10, verse 12. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So he didn't just die. He came back to life. This this sacrifice wouldn't count if he just stayed dead. But because he came back to life, it was his way of showing payment has been received. It's done. It's paid for. Here's the receipt. And then he ascended into heaven, right? Think of Moses climbing that mountain. Jesus went up the ultimate mountain. He ascended into heaven. He sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 13, he's waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. What does that mean? That means anybody who's trusted in him has been perfected by faith in him. We may not feel it, our actions may not show it, but God has declared us not guilty, innocent because of what Jesus has done. And when you scrub tomorrow, you get to remember, oh wait, Jesus paid for that. Jesus paid for that. And he's growing. He's sanctifying us day by day. He's growing us day by day so that our actions and our attitudes match up with what he has already declared us to be. Righteous in his sight. So, a few questions as we uh, receive this together. I've got a few questions for you. I'm going to call the band up, actually. And I'm going to call the prayer team down. We've got a few prayer folks uh, available today to be available for prayer. We just need a couple on each side. I want to give you a few questions to think about as we prepare to receive this together. First question. Have you made a confession of faith to enter this covenant? Have you made a confession of faith to enter this covenant? People of Israel had to confess, yes we will, yes I want in. Have you done that with Jesus? The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 10 verse 9, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved." think of a wedding day. I do. I will. God wants us to declare, yes. Yes. Yes, Jesus. I trust that you paid for me. Yes. Yes, I want you to be my Lord. Yes, I'm tired of trying to steer my own life. Tired of it. it. Ain't working. I want to trust you as my Lord. Have you done that? We're not automatically in this covenant. We're automatically out it, outside of it. God is so inclusive. He's like, anybody can come. Anybody can come. But we've got to say yes to that invitation. And communion, once we've said yes, communion is the way that we remember. I said yes, I'm in this.
1: Yes, that's right. He paid
0: for me. That's right. I belong to him. That's right. I'm in this covenant with him. That's right. That's right. That's right. right." It's like when Jess and I do date night, we're like remembering, that's right, we've got this covenant relationship, that's right, that's right, that's right. When we celebrate our anniversary, that's right, we made vows, that's right, that's right, that's right. And when we do this, we're remembering, yes, that's right, that's right, I belong to Him. That's right. I had a bad day, screwed up today, but I belong to the King of the universe. He's my dad now. Second question. Do you believe that you have been set apart by Christ's blood? Not only has his Christ covered over your sins, but it has set you apart. It has identified you as being different than the rest of the world. Remember, the blood was sprinkled on the people of Israel. It marked them. It stained their clothes. And it was a visible picture that we are different than the rest of the nations around us. We have been freed from slavery. And God has called us to be his his special people. And you and I, by faith in Jesus' blood, have been set apart to be different than the rest of the world. So before you receive this communion, is there an area of your life that you need to surrender to Him because it doesn't look very different than the rest of the world? Maybe you use your body the way the rest of the world uses their bodies. Maybe you use your mouth the rest of the world uses their mouth. Maybe you use social media the way the rest of the world uses social media. Maybe you respond to trials and stress the, re- the way the rest of the world does. So if somebody's looking at you and how you respond to stress, you're like, they ain't different. They ain't different, I get just as anxious as the rest of us, just as angry as the rest of us, just as easily offended as the rest of us. They ain't different. They ain't nothing different about their God. Is that the case for you? If it is, if you can be honest with yourself and admit that, I would encourage you to come down. The prayer team will be here. Just say, hey, there's an area. I want to surrender to him. Can you pray with me? Like I said earlier, um, if you've never even made a confession of faith in Jesus, you can come pray with these guys. Just say, hey, I want to trust in Jesus tonight, they'll they'll pray with you to do that, give you an opportunity to profess with your mouth, your faith. So that's number two. Number three, do you get that God wants you to enjoy His presence? Do you get that? Do you get, do you really believe? This is a reminder, God wants, you know what Jesus said? When he, at, the, at the last supper he said, I will not eat and drink with you again until the kingdom of God has come and it's full. He calls this day when, the, when heaven comes to earth, when Jesus comes back, heaven comes to earth, there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb where him and the bride, the church, that's you and I, are going to have this feast together. Like he wants us to commune with him and this is a reminder of that day, but it's also a reminder that every day now, we get to tap into that to a degree. We get to come before God. We get to pray to the God of the universe and actually call him dad because of this blood that Jesus shed for us. Do you get that? Do you, like, do you re- I don't get that some days. Do you know that? I don't get that some days. Sometimes I'm so distracted and I'm like, oh ah, pray, read the Bible. But I'm like, wait a second. This is the God of the universe and I, I get to come into his presence? Why don't I feel that more? But I don't. I don't feel that more. Some of us don't feel it because of shame and guilt. We're like, no, maybe God has forgiven me. Maybe I'll get to heaven one day, but I think God's pretty much like, just get out of my sight. I saved you, I forgave you, but don't ask for anything more from me. I don't really like you right now. That's some of how we view God. Maybe it's because of our earthly dad, who was like, I'll provide you with a shelter and food, but when I come home from work, leave me alone. So we think that's how God is. He's justified us. He's the judge who's justified us, but then he's like, now get lost. I set you free from prison, but get, get out of here. But instead, we're remembering, no, the judge declared us not guilty, and then the judge said, now I'm your dad and I'm taking you home. That's what we get. Oh man, it's crazy, it's crazy. Do we remember that? When we receive this together later, ask, ask, ask the Holy Spirit to remind you and testify with your spirit that you belong to Him. You belong to Him. And then lastly, number four. Number four, do you believe that God wants you to bless, uh, wait, do you believe God wants to bless his covenant family? So, so God loves everybody. I've been saying that. God loves everybody in the world. He loves everybody. I love all the kids in this church, but my kids get to partake in special blessings in our house because they're part of our family. And those who have trusted in Jesus get special privileges and benefits and blessings. And responsibilities, yes, to represent him in the world, for sure. That's, that's being separated, like we talked about earlier. But we also get these blessings where God, God wants to show us that there's a the future kingdom that we're gonna get. We're gonna reign on this renewed earth with him in new bodies. He wants to give us tastes of that now. And, and and last week we talked about how he promised them physical health, and blessing, and protection. And so Jesus showed up on the scene, and what did he do? He, he healed people. God's a healing God, and so if you need healing. Emotional healing, physical healing. I want you to come and ask for prayer as well. Believing that, you know what? Man, God's my dad. I'm in this covenant. With God. My dad, I, I need some healing going on here. Don't, don't hyperanalyze. Well, some people don't get healed. These are dads. Just come down and ask for prayer from your dad. My kids don't hyperanalyze. You know, well, don't ask dad for that because sometimes he doesn't and you know, they don't do this formula. Just ask your dad for some healing. He's, you're part of this covenant. So those are four questions. Have you made a to enter this covenant? If not, these guys are available to pray with you. Blood. If there's an area that you need to surrender, these guys are available to pray with you. Do you get that God wants you to enjoy His presence? He wants to enjoy your presence. Do you get it? If not, these guys are available to pray for you. And do you believe God wants you to be blessed by Him because you're in this covenant family? If you are going to receive communion with us, you can grab the elements. The prayer team can be available uh, for a little bit longer after we receive this. But let me read from Luke 22. Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's take the cracker, representing his body. and We receive it, remembering Jesus gave his body, spotless lamb who lived the obedient life in our place because we can, so the pressure's off. Let's receive this. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant in my blood. No more animals. I'm the ultimate sacrifice. My blood covers for all time. Every single one of your mess-ups, sins, everything that you're embarrassed about, every ounce of shame, every thought, every attitude that is offensive to God, Jesus covered it with his blood and faith in that blood means we enter this new covenant. Let's receive this together and now as a covenant family Let's go out singing one more song about this indescribable God of ours.